Welcome to the Golf Better Podcast. I'm your host, Derek Dominski. This episode of the Golf Better Podcast is brought to you by MySecretsToSpinningIt.com. This 90-minute video will teach you everything you need to know about putting maximum backspin on the ball around the greens and show you step-by-step how to bring this spin to your own game. Today we are happy to welcome Scott Fawcett of Decade Golf to the podcast. In this first of two-part episode, we begin to talk to Scott about course management in his well-known Decade Golf system. Course management is an area that everyone can use a refresher on, as well as implementing, can lead to smarter decisions and lower scores. Enjoy. All right, Scott, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. For those that don't know you, can you give yourself uh, a brief introduction about yourself and how you got into uh, your decade golf system? Sure. You know, I'm like your normal Texas kid, teenager. I played all the sports growing up, but I never really specialized in golf until you know about 10th grade. So I really, I mean, I wasn't recruited by anyone technically. Sam Houston State let me come there for a year just because my high school teammate told him I had a lot of potential and went there, transferred to A&M, uh, played decent golf and went out and played professional golf for a few years, but I'm really like, I would have been my perfect test case because I was so inexperienced because of not really playing much golf and then transferring and having to sit out for a year and a half. And like, by the time I turned professional, I really still hadn't played much tournament golf, but I did decent at, at, you know, at best. And then I started an electricity company back in 2002 in Texas, which is technically still my day job. Fast forward a couple of years, I met Chris Como playing poker in an underground poker room here in Dallas, and he and I became, you know, great friends. He actually is Como's living room lab is about a half a mile from my house. He he nice. called me whenever the pandemic started. He's like, dude, where is it that you live? I I gotta just get a house and settle in. So I'm like, he he found his rental house right uh, right down the street from me, basically. And you know, that was whenever I started playing a lot of poker. I started really understanding golf strategy a lot more like you know I've got some math degrees but I mm-hmm. I mean I've really somehow have played golf like a total moron uh, it's pretty comical actually looking back at it considering what I now teach but I just realized that we could apply basic poker expectation math and the poker psychology and mindset to the game and so I really did that for a couple of years got to play pretty good golf and then i decided to enter Q school in 2008 as a 35 year old amateur. And I got through all four stages and wow. went, went back and played the corn Ferry tour for a, a little while um, while still having a full-time job, which was about as bad of an, ex- an idea as it sounds like. So I did that for a couple of years until finally uh, my, my wife and friends were like, what, what are you doing exactly? I'm like, I don't know. Having fun. Does that, does that count for anything? And so I got my amateur status back in 2013, which is right when the strokes gain statistics really started coming out. And they'd already released strokes gain putting. And on this online poker form, you could actually, it's fun to go back and reread the threads. You could see my my brain starting to turn really on the poker, math, golf, you know, uh, alignment, if you will. And so then when they you know, released the entire strokes game database via Mark Brody's book, Every Shot Counts, I was just like, I can take all of this and combine it together and in theory, you know, optimize course management. Mm-hmm. And so I did that. And then, you know, unluckily slash luckily for me, when I got a quarter zone shot in 2014, the couple of weeks before the Texas Amateur, the guy paralyzed my right arm 
Whoa. uh for for a couple of days yeah it was a little it was kind of funny at first and then it was like oh my oh. god is this thing not coming back and luckily <laughs> luckily it did come back but uh you know i've now had surgery on my right elbow back in march of this year i just had surgery on my left elbow uh two weeks ago tomorrow so mm. i've just had some kind of chronic tennis elbow issues which theoretically now we've solved we'll see whenever i start playing golf again here in a couple months but as a result of the doctor paralyzing my right arm, I, uh, Will Zalatoris was just a 17-year-old high school golfer at my club at the time, and I called him up, and I'm like, dude, I can't play next week in the Texas Am, but I've got something that's pretty cool with golf that I really think will help you. I mean, the guys, as we all now know, I used to have to explain who Will was. Now we're very well aware of who he is, so I, he's just an amazing ball striker, and I was like, I don't understand why you're not doing better, and it's it's really it's this interesting paradox that great ball striker they wind up thinking that they can do so much and then they try to force so many things that there's just really nobody on the planet who hits it good enough to actually overcome the the math of golf if you will even a robot just because golf is the largest outdoor sport played with the ball in the air the longest mm. like even just the wind makes the game impossible so even if you were perfect it, the game's not perfectable and so, you know, I caddied for Zalatoris when he won the, the Texas Am. Actually, interestingly, I, I used to glaze over this part, but Kramer Hickok, who, you know, obviously just lost in a playoff at the Travelers a couple weeks ago, his dad and I have been in business together for a number oh. of years here in Dallas on a lot of stuff. And after Will won the Texas Am, I actually went to lunch with, with Doug, his dad, and a guy named Brent Halverson. We went and grabbed lunch the day after Will won the Texas Amateur, and I just laid it all out to him, like, here's how all this thing works, because I had told them in advance of what I was working on one day, and then Will wins, and so about two months later, Doug, he was like, you know, Kramer's, he, he just was struggling in college. He wasn't making UT's, you know, traveling squad, and he finally got into a six-man event in Atlanta, and he was like, well, you just go out there and show him what you're doing and kind of chat with him and whatever, so I did, and he went from a guy who really was not making UT's top five to playing the majority of the tournaments that spring. And then I actually caddied for him when he got through second stage and at final stage that next year. And obviously he's, he's done a great job on, I mean, he's just steadily gotten better and better and better. And obviously culminating with losing in a playoff. So I used to glaze over that guy because DeChambeau was technically the next guy that I worked with aside from Kramer at SMU. And, I mean, honestly, it's just comical. Here we are, you know, seven years later at this point, um, and just to see what kind of an uh, kind of an accident. Like I, I intentionally yeah. solved course management. I did not intentionally create a product to help the masses uh, the way that it has. It's been really fun and funny. And so, would you say coming from poker, is it really about that expectation management and kind of playing the odds? I guess you could say when it comes to better decision making in golf. That's all it is. I mean, it literally is all it is. And it's funny because, you know, I get myself in trouble sometimes making blanket statements on Twitter, but um, they're true. <laughs> like, And, and the, the main one that I think is really funny is every decision you make, literally 100% of them, whether you realize it or not, you're doing math in your head. It is a math-based decision. Something as pedantic as crossing the road, am I going to make it? A hundred percent. Yes. Like 95. Like, well, how big of a hurry am I in? Like a one in 20 car? Like, eh, I've got to be in a pretty big hurry if I'm going to try that one. Technically, it's funny. I've never even thought about this. I actually jumped between a train on my way to a, a college final one time because it was going really slow. 
and I was having to go all the way across campus at Texas A&M, and I wiggled my, literally jumped on a train, went between the boxcars, and jumped out the other side because that was the only way I was going to make it to this final on time. But that was a that was a math decision where I was like, I I'm 99.9% sure I can make this, and I really don't want to miss this final. But really, when you start viewing every decision in that fashion, I mean, you know, again, I, I get a lot of people and players sometimes that say, you know, I was, I was more of an emotional player. I played better when I was emotional. I'm like, it's, that's fine. Whatever. I still don't believe that's true typically. Yeah. But even still, you can't make an over-optimal targeting decision. Like, whatever's optimal is optimal. Now, uh-huh. you might think that you're playing better because you're emotional so you can take a more aggressive line, which is pretty much never the case. Mm-hmm. Um but we're still just out there making math decisions. And so ultimately what decade does is it just quantifies that decision-making process. Because really, if you think about, you know, and again, I always talk about junior golfers, not that they're my main focus, mm-hmm. but they're the guys that I legitimately actually, I mean, I hope the 34 year old listening plays better golf, but mm-hmm. you know, you, you got a job, you got a family, that's your yeah. gig. I really want to help the juniors not pound their head into the wall like the rest of us had to do. And so really just being able to teach them a systematic way to make a really efficient and, and good decision, that's really the difference. Because if you think about the traditional playing lesson, you're just out there in six fairway with your assistant pro from your home course who may or may not even know what in the hell he's doing anyways. But <laughs> you're out there in the middle of the six fairway. Let's pretend he does know what he's doing and he gives you a perfect, here's what your target should be. Mm-hmm. You still now have to recognize in a golf tournament on a different course this situation matches number six exactly. And you got to recognize this while you're nervous about playing a tournament, you got to recognize it in real time in about 30 seconds or less. Like if you really think about it, the traditional playing lesson is kind of a joke unless you're actually playing like, like you're just worried about it at your home course, which sure. like by definition, that's just a club level golfer, which I hope to help them and decade does. But my real goal is helping the kids that are out playing a whole bunch of golf courses at all the time in, in tournaments and showing them how to make decisions rather just, I think this is the right, the right play or here's the time to get more aggressive. Like that's just not how it works. Now your decade system, that's what you've called it. Um, Cause it takes decades of uh, experience or, or, you know, uh, we're going to, we're going to take decades <laughs> off your learning curve. There it is. That, that's it. Um, <laughs> So it's extremely popular. Uh, you know, I've seen you at tour events and all that. Can you kind of give us a number of how many juniors, how many college teams and players, and how many pros use your system? I mean, honestly, I don't really know between yeah. juniors and college teams. You know, we had 180-ish, 150 or 180 the first year or two. Obviously, with COVID, yeah. we've gone back from there, hoping we go back up. But, I mean, on the PGA Tour, I'm typically sending my packet out yeah. on, on a weekly basis to – 25 or 30 guys, which mm-hmm. that just means that I've worked with them in some form or fashion in the past. Sure. I mean, a lot of them are just, they went to college. There's just not a whole lot of guys I work directly with one-on-one mainly because sure. I don't want to, I don't yeah. want to, I don't want to go to tour events 15 times a year. I just, again, this is kind of an accident on the side of my electricity company. Yeah. I, I, I want to do it, but I shouldn't say I want to do it. I, I want to help them, but I don't want to, mm-hmm. I don't want to actually travel much to help them. So I go yeah. out to the, like Phoenix where I met you, I, I got yeah. to the fun ones. Like, hey, that's, yeah, and, and the, that's event, a cool and the spot. stuff you the stuff you give out is, you know, it's like, hey, here's it's pretty self explanatory necessarily. You know, one need to like sit down with each player and kind of explain. It. It's like, hey, here's what kind of the the math and the stuff says to do, which I really did appreciate when you showed me some of that stuff. It's really cool. Yeah, I mean, and, and at the tour level, these guys aren't morons. I mean, they're yeah. the best in the world for a reason. 
yes, it takes me an hour or two tops to really tighten up the way a player sees everything and to make sure they understand what, you know, what to look for in the packets I send out. Um, sure. But, I mean, if I were to have to go out there every single week, it'd just be hand-holding. Like, hey, look, this is the exact situation I explained to you on the phone. Like, I just – I don't – I don't need to do that, and I don't want to do that, um, yeah. you know, but it is fun. I mean, what's crazy is just to see, you know, I, I saw Stuart Sink's name about a year ago when it just popped through on the sales one day, and I'm like, wonder if that's Stuart Sink, and, you know, <laughs> another, and, you know, sure enough, you go to the, the IP address, and you feel I'm like, wow, that's the actual Stuart Sink, and it's, it's pretty crazy to watch a guy like that, and then just to hear him referring to the system, and he's finally saying the word decade and whatever out there, but... <laughs> It is pretty cool just to watch a guy like that. I've never met the dude or talked to him in my life, and he bought the app out of the app store just like anyone else. And it's like to pick a dude who's won a major championship. And, again, I'm the exact same age as Stuart. I've watched this guy play golf since we were 15. And to think that you've helped shape the way he sees stuff. Like this isn't – people give me a hard time. The the, the haters do saying, isn't all this common sense? And I'm like, it is. Go tell Stuart Sink it's common sense. Yeah, exactly. Like that guy went to Georgia Tech. He's not exactly a moron. Yeah, ex- exactly. Um, so, go, you know, when people get the app, go ahead and talk about it a little bit. Like, what's the system? Let's say I sign up for today. What's it going to really help me with most? What should I expect? You know, right out of the blocks, I, I, and I, I orchestrated it to where I bring you along, you know, this little breadcrumb trail of, of just building. So the foundations, it builds upon each other. So, Really, you can see in month one, two, and three, like these are the things that I think are the foundational elements. And so it is just the realities of shot patterns, the realities of practicing, how to practice more efficiently, the reality of trying to work the ball both ways. Like, you know, good luck with the driver. It's just, (laughs) it's not going to pan out. And so, you know, the the person that signs up, well, I mean, honestly, the foundations, I I really do think month one is it's it's so front loaded with great information because I really do want to help. I want to help the average dude and the average player that's like, man, it's a hundred bucks. I don't really want to spend that. I'm like, okay, here's, here's foundations month one for free. It's going to, it's going to teach you a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then, yeah, Hey, if you want to learn a little bit more, you obviously continue on, but the month one, the foundation stuff it, of shot patterns, I think that is just the most important stuff for people to understand <laughs> because I mean, again, 98% of the PJ tour players and corn Ferry and LPGA that I talk with, the main thing we all got wrong or they all and I got wrong is if we just picture a pin where a pin is five yards from the right side of the green and right, it's not a lake, but it's not good. Yeah. It's just a, just, just a bunker, you know, and we're 160. I, I would have, you know, again, I'm not an idiot either. I would have aimed, you know, three to five yards left of that pin, but then mm-hmm. I would have hoped I'd push it. And yeah. that's, that, I think, if there's any one thing that I have not actually heard before, again, like with people saying, like, a lot of this is stuff people great to Yeah, a lot of what I teach, it is what a lot of great teachers have taught along. Now, we've packaged it all together. We've used data yeah. and images. But if there's any one thing that I really feel like I've keyed on that I have not heard other people talk about before, it's this idea of most people just aim away from a flag and then they hope or, to pull or push it close. And mm-hmm. it's like you have never once stood on a driving range with an eight iron and thought, if I can just hit this 15 feet right, awesome. Exactly. And, and so we're out there putting these wishy-washy, non-committed swings on it all the time. And, you know, one of the things that we talked about talking about was just, you know, shot patterns with drivers and, and average golfers. Like, if I get a tour player on a driving range with their driver, their shot pattern is going to be not small, but it's mm-hmm. – 
30 or 40 percent smaller than the, the overall shot pattern is on any given hole in the PGA Tour. And it's like, yeah, I mean, and I do believe that the vast majority of that is guys trying to shape the ball the other direction. The only way you get misses as big as you see tour players hit, like, as consistently as they hit, is when they double cross it. So I fade 100% of my shots. But if I were to stand up with a driver and try to draw it, 25, 30% of the time, my miss, I'm going to double cross it. So that means I'm now a fader, so I'm going to try to draw it. So, like, by definition, I'm starting it right of where I intended to, and my miss is a block cut. Like, that's just always off the planet. And with the driver specifically, if you can just make sure you keep the face on the target side of path, which just means you're going to hit the shape you intended to, yeah. It's hard to cut it a hundred yards, exactly. and and shot patterns on tour literally they are a hundred yards wide yeah. off the tee, and there's just they're just not that bad. And I, again, I say that tongue in cheek is a twice failed playing professional, but they're not that bad, and that is entirely trying to work the ball both directions. Now, yeah, yeah. Now I want to kind of touch on what you just you mentioned there, um, this idea of dispersion or shot pattern. Uh, because when the average golfer, average person is watching TV, you're seeing these guys probably playing at, you know, the highest potential of their, of their level. And you see them, you know, they get these ideas and I get students that come to me saying, Hey, you know, I'm missing my driver. You know, I'm hitting a little bit here and a little bit here. And it's like, I tell them like, that's actually quite good. That's very reasonable. And they don't understand. They're like, no, I should be kind of peppering this pin with my driver. I'm like, no, 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 this is that's not, not even close. All. So I was interested if you, I know you have some of this information, so, like, the average driver on tour, we'll even say average at 300 yards uh, from left to right, you know, that side-to-side dispersion. What What's a reasonable expectation for a PGA Tour player's driver? How wide is that shot pattern? In practice? Uh, I will say in play uh, on a golf course. I mean, it's really it's, – it's, that's basically an impossible question to answer simply because you would have to ask each player where their target was and – Sure, and, sure. and so, so that's where I start taking whenever I'm I trying guess. to do analysis like that. I'll just look at a dead straight hole. So that way we can pretty safely assume everybody's aiming at the dead center of the fairway, plus or minus a couple yards. Sure. Um, and aim just being the center of their shot pattern. It's where a perfect shot. Some people think of aim as body line. Some people think of aim as start line. When I think of aim, I'm just purely talking the center of their shot pattern. But that yeah. shot pattern, so like number eight at, at PGA West is a dead straight par five. Everyone in the field is hitting driver on it, and there's no reason you would try to shade it to one side or the other. That shot pattern on that hole will be over 70 yards wide every single time, and I use PGA West because it's also a vacuum out there. There's basically no wind the vast sure. majority of rounds. And and. So it's, you know, over 70-ish yards wide. But now when you start putting a lake on the left side, we go number 18. Again, same course, same day, PGA National, uh, PGA West, rather. Number 18, the shot pattern will be almost 100 yards wide. And that is entirely people over the ball, don't go left. Like, no kidding, there's a lake over there. I do, I, I, that's why you pick your target 30, 35 yards right of it. Now there's no reason to think don't go left anymore. Um but again, just because what we're doing is we're, we're we're exposing that inner conversation that's not necessarily helpful. And again, we've all done that. I mean, literally every day, don't go right, don't go left. Like, again, that's why you choose your target. If if I were shooting a gun, I'm going to try to make this analogy up on the fly. And I always go back to shooting guns, apparently because I'm from Texas, even though I've never shot a gun in my life. If I'm shooting a gun and somebody says, hit the apple off of somebody's head, 
the natural thought would be don't go low. Exactly. <laughs> like no kidding. That's why I'm aiming at the apple. Now, if you're not very good at aiming at an apple, you might want to give yourself a little bit of tolerance. Um, it's the same thing. So, so if a shot pattern in practice for a tour player should be about 60 yards wide, we're now talking like 90% of shots. And yeah. again, I hate making definitive statements because sure. that answer is different for Zach Johnson than it is for DeChambeau. But let's call it 60-ish yards wide. If there's a lake on the left, um, there's not a magical shape you know, draw or a fade that's going to keep it from going left. There's none of that. It is I need to aim my shot pattern 30 yards right of that lake and then just hit my stock yeah. shot. Yeah. Um, trying to work it both ways because another thing that you'll hear people do all the time is like, well, there's a lake on the left and I like to fade it. So I'm going to put more fade on it just to make sure it fades. Yeah. And it's like when you ask, again, even at the tour level, when you ask them how can you practice that shot, you can see their face just go blank like, huh, never. It's like, so you now you're going to get up on a, one of the harder shots of the day and you're going to hit a shot that you never practice. And it's just comical how, again, even at that level, how many just flat out dumb things they, we, I'll try to say we, even though I wasn't a tour player, just so I don't throw them totally under the bus. Just amazing some of the stuff we do. And so a lot of it is like, well, if you can create a 60 yard wide shot pattern on practice yeah. and you're not thinking don't go left or right, well, then there's no reason we can't stand up on any hole and aim 30 yards away from a hazard and just send it, hit it as hard as you can, just like you do in practice. Yeah. And I think, uh, would you say then it's fair to say that your system and really, I think course man management in general, like when I'm playing, if I hit a bad shot, I can live with an execution error all the time. Like bad shots will happen. Right. So execution errors are part of the game, but there's nothing worse than when you feel like you made maybe too aggressive or a terrible decision that just doesn't add up. You're taking on too much risk for no reward. Would you say we're trying to kind of eliminate those situations? I mean, 100%. I mean, again, outlier shots, regardless of, regardless of who you are, what your handicap is or anything, the outlier shots are the ones that destroy your scoring mm -hmm. average. So that's – I'm not going to say that's what we're trying to eliminate because, again, keep in mind, I don't teach mechanics, so I'm not trying to eliminate anything technically from you. But what we do need to do is, as your scoring average is going to drop, it's by getting rid of the, the materially, the outlier shots. And, again, not getting rid of, but just not letting those outlier shots come from that bad inner conversation. That's really what it is we're trying to tidy up. And so, again, I hate, I hate always just boiling the game down to avoiding mistakes. Yeah. But at the end of the day, the game is almost solely about avoiding mistakes. Um, the good stuff will just kind of be there. And the good stuff, again, it's, it's basically luck. Now, the better you are, the less lucky you have to get. Uh -huh. But any shot you hit close, was there was some function of luck in it. Otherwise, you would do it way more often than you do. And that's right. where even when you start looking at shot, you know, track man shot patterns, like you just get a tour player to go take a seven iron and just go hit 27 irons. Yeah. It will be a shotgun blast. It will be all over the map. Now, it'll be tighter than a 10 handicaps, sure. but it still is going to be 25 yards wide. And so, by, like, again, by definition, if I had a 25-yard wide shotgun shot pattern, mm -hmm. some of them will be in the middle. Some of them will be right. Some of them will be left. And just happening to have the flag be where that shotgun pellet, you have to think of, like, shooting a shotgun and you've got this blast that comes out. But instead of this blast that comes out, only one of those 100 BBs or however many BBs mm -hmm. are in a shotgun, only one of them actually comes out. Mm -hmm. And we just keep on doing the same thing over and over again. And eventually, 
a little bit of luck's going to happen, and mm-hmm. there you go. So the game really winds up becoming about mitigating mistakes far more than it is going out and doing amazing stuff. What an awesome start to some of my favorite conversation in golf. As mentioned, you can sign up for Scott's Decade Golf System and get his Foundations info for free. I cannot recommend doing this enough. You can download it from the App Store by just searching for Decade Golf. I love course management because as Scott has mentioned, it's not changing your mechanics, but simply maximizing your lowest score potential through trusted math and odds. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share this episode with your golf crew. Stay tuned for part two.